1: A podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death. Um, As always, I'm Tim Wyatt and I'm here with my dad, John Wyatt. How are you doing today, John? Yeah, good to be here. Um, we're aware lots of you listening will have been listening to this podcast for some time, but hopefully lots of new listeners as well um, since our move into the premier the premier network. So we thought before we started, we wanted to really kind of explain a little bit about what Matters of Life and Death is all about and how, how we got here. Um, so so the story kind of begins uh, just really with the story of the pandemic, just just as uh, the first we went into the first lockdown uh, two years ago almost now in in twenty. 20 in March. Uh, me and you, John, we, we were talking and really felt like there was a, we wanted to to have a kind of informed and an informative conversation about some of the issues uh, in the public square uh often controversial difficult issues about ethics about technology things that's coming up in the news things that are affecting the church and things that are affecting kind of public life and and, and apply, try to apply a kind of thoughtful christian perspective on this something that we actually did in our own conversations all the time and we just thought as an experiment why don't we try recording some of these conversations and seeing if people might find them helpful
0: yeah it was um to be honest i was never much of a podcast listener before um the pandemic but um but since then it's something I've discovered uh, interesting to listen to other people's podcasts and and uh to have this opportunity of of making our own
1: yeah and as I said it was a, it was a bit of an experiment and, but we've been really delighted with the response that we've had um friends family and people that we've never met have got in touch to say that they find these our discussions interesting and, and useful and uh I would really if you're interested to find out what we've been talking about over the last 18 months almost two years do do look at the back catalogue of episodes if you're new to matters of life and death we started off talking a lot about covid uh but we've kind of got quite kind of butterfly minds and interests and so we've touched on whole kinds of things um but but before we kind of tackle or we get into into what we're going to talk about in the coming episodes do you do you want to introduce yourself uh john to people who might not have come across you before
0: Yeah, so my background is as a medic. I was a baby doctor. So the technical title is a neonatologist and um, specialised in caring for newborn babies in a big um, central London teaching hospital and uh, worked for more than 20, 25 years on the front line, got increasingly interested in in medical ethics. And uh, as a result, I've now retired from the frontline medical world. But Uh, still very interested in researching and writing and discussing uh, medical ethics and then more broadly um, more and more interested in technology artificial intelligence and some of the other really interesting and challenging and threatening issues which which our modern world faces
1: Hmm. um and i mean i guess i would say this because i'm your son but uh, you're also the author of a number of really quite excellent books um, do you want to explain
0: about the, some of those and some of the more recent titles? <laughs> so I'm paying you as my uh, publicity agent. <laughs> um, yes, so I wrote a book called Matters of Life and Death, um, which uh, really looks at issues at the beginning of life and at the end of life and tries to develop a Christian response to that. And, and most to my surprise, that's um, been translated into more than 10 languages. It's in the second edition. And... Um, is used by some people as a kind of a textbook. Um, and then uh, I, I've written a, a couple of other books, particularly focusing on death and dying. So that's one of my particular interests. I used to get called Dr. Death sometimes, which wasn't <laughs> very complimentary, but um, so a book called Right to Die? Question mark, And another one called Dying Well. Um, And most recently, I've got very interested in artificial intelligence and uh, a book called The Robot Will See You Now came out in uh, July 2021.
1: Hmm. And I like to believe I'm not just here uh, to ask the questions or to um, pump up your book sales. (laughs) For those who don't know me, I'm a a freelance journalist, I I mostly specialise in covering religion and, and social affairs stories. Uh, so that looks like a lot of my time is spent uh, researching and writing about things that are going on in the church, but also other um, faith communities and and issues affecting kind of society as a whole, maybe homelessness or assisted dying, um, divorce, that kind of thing. Uh, so I do a mixture of kind of straight news reporting, uh, but also a lot of features and analysis. Um, and I also record a few podcasts. Um, and so we kind of see, we hope that these these conversations that we have are both kind of intergenerational, uh, but they're also bringing our particular perspectives. Dad as the kind of research professor, ethics ethicist, writer, and me as the kind of lay person uh, asking, hopefully, searching and probing questions to try and tease out some gold.
0: Yeah, and we also represent different generations, don't we? Uh, inevitably, and and I'm very much in the baby boomer generation. Very for your sins. Influ- for my <laughs> sins. Influenced by. <laughs> the 1960s when I was growing up, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all that stuff, sexual liberation. And um, uh, and Tim, you, you would classify as a millennial, I suppose.
1: I would. Slap bang in the middle, born in 1990. Uh, so yes, very much a millennial, very much came of age uh, in the noughties. Um, and we were discussing this just a minute before, off mic actually, about how I was reflecting on how that's kind of shaped my my Christian perspective and how I engage as a believer in, in these, some of these issues we're talking about is that I really came of age it, during a time people would have heard of the new atheism, your Richard Dawkins and your Sam Harris's, where there was a kind of a surge of interest in atheism and a kind of very robust intellectual challenge against some of the, the foundational parts of Christian belief. And that was really swirling around when I was doing my A-levels and going to university. And it felt like a real, uh, uh, a huge challenge, a huge uh, kind of cloud hanging over how evangelicals and Christians can engage in the public square and and bring their, their Christian thinking uh, and wisdom to bear on, on some of these issues. And what's really fascinating to me, reflecting on that now, you know, 15 so years later is actually it's really encouraging that the new atheism fizzled out almost as quickly as it as it came up and actually people today my peers they're not reading Dawkins nor are they obsessed with trying to disprove the historicity of the new testament but they're they're open to both spiritual questions but also I think there's a renewed openness to hear different perspectives on on some of these issues which I think is bodes really well for the kind of conversations we're hoping to have.
0: Yeah. And one of the interesting things we've talked about before is how the pandemic um, has definitely led to an increased interest in uh, religious questions, questions about the meaning of life, um, about really significance and purpose. Uh, One of the fascinating things I was just hearing just last week is is that economists are talking about the, the great unemployment um that that a whole lot of people have chosen to uh, resign their their jobs during the pandemic um and are branching out starting new businesses retraining um going in completely different directions and uh, it's interesting that the pandemic has brought i i think a, a greater level of questioning uh, a a greater desire to say you know what is life all about
1: mm. There was one, I think it's one of the fascinating and completely still unanswered questions about COVID is to what extent will, when slash if it ever goes away, will life spring back to how it was in the before times, you know, pre-March 2020 and to what extent are we actually living through a period of massive kind of sectoral change across everything, whether that's work, whether that's people's businesses, uh, whether that's what jobs they do, whether it's how they order their lives, where they live in the country. And are, are we actually going to have long lasting change? In, and will we be able to, will his future historians be able to see, um, you know, shifts that kicked off in 2020 that never went back? And I think the, the jury's still out on a lot of those.
0: Inevitably, will for what it's worth, I think my hunch is there has been some extraordinary uh, revolutions taking place. I mean, in the technological world, the fascinating thing is that all this technology like zoom and and the possibilities of home working and conference uh, online conferences webinars all that stuff it was all available it was all happening and yet the the general received wisdom was it's it's not important it's never going to replace face-to-face meetings uh, face-to-face uh, conversations uh, and so on and, and what the pandemic's done is it suddenly accelerated this shift onto the online world, both both for good and, and for bad, I think.
1: Mm. I mean, fundamentally, we wouldn't be recording this podcast right now if it wasn't for the pandemic, certainly not over this technology and certainly not uh, discussing a lot of what we've been discussing indirectly and directly has been shaped by, by the experience of coronavirus. Um,
0: and one of the things that I am starting to... To, to speculate about it, it is that the um this new era has extraordinary potential for international communication and collaboration uh, through an organization called the international christian medics and dentals association i i've been uh, involved in online bioethics seminars and discussions with doctors and health professionals literally around the world and they've all been there on my screen we've been learning and sharing together and i've been blown away at the possibility for a really deep level of international collaboration of joint learning and so on which which would simply have been impossible previously
1: Uh, do you feel optimistic therefore about the the future what the future holds for our kind of endeavor in this podcast about applying the gospel and Christian timeless Christian truth to our ever-changing culture and society do you think there is still a place uh, for for that kind of uh, that kind of work
0: particularly post post COVID I do I I feel both optimistic and concerned you know inevitably it's those two conflicting emotions isn't it positively i think this technology opens up the possibility of having conversations around the world at a very deep significant thoughtful uh, intelligent way uh, negatively of course the the problem is what's sometimes called the signal to noise problem on the internet there is just so much stuff out there um how do you find the really genuine interesting signal in all the noise all the confusion all the hate speech all the outrage all the extremism the polarized positions and so on so so i think the real problem in the non, in the modern online age is is finding material that's helpful and in in the midst of all the noise
1: and that also reminds me i think the other the other abiding question for our increasingly digitalized world is you know this is not simply a neutral tool but this is it, the it shapes people as they use it and into what extent are Christians being shaped uh, for good or for ill by their use of social media and digital technologies you know we talked about this in the past when it related to COVID about the explosion of misinformation and how concerning it is how so many Christians have kind of fallen prey to conspiracy theories and, and misinformation online in particular around the pandemic and i think we need to think carefully if we if we if we if we think that we are moving into a world in which so much more of our lives will be mediated through the internet how can we ensure that that we take what is good but don't kind of uncritically absorb the rest of the stuff that is out there
0: absolutely and i think that is one of my real fascinations in technology you know there's a um, a well known saying if you really want to know what water is uh, don't ask a fish um and i think that applies to technology with we, we, our our lives are so pervaded now by digital technologies by uh, every you know the news the the social media the internet um, that we find it almost impossible to imagine what life would be without these things then they're, they're now part of the water in which we swim and and they've become almost invisible to us so so I think, again, this is one of the wonderful things about the international aspect, and particularly the the global Christian church, is that we have Christians, fellow sisters and brothers around the world, and, and often their cultural perspectives are quite different from ours. They see the world differently. They're not necessarily always so affected by uh, Western technology and so on. and they provide a very helpful and instructive kind of counterbalance, a way of, of, of seeing things differently.
1: You are listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. So clearly technology, particularly digital technology, is going to be a massive theme, I think, for this podcast moving forward. Uh, should we talk about a few of the other things that we're interested in, the things that we're hoping to discuss in the future give a little taster of what some people can expect from future episodes of the matters of life and death
0: Yes, yeah, so so one of the topics which we're planning to um to look at fairly soon is is the topic of human enhancement using technology to enhance human abilities um this is sometimes called the philosophy of transhumanism or, or the, another phrase that is used is post-humanism and uh it's something which as a medic and scientist, I'm fascinated by because as the science advances, our ability to improve and enhance the human body and the human brain is increasing. And the question is, how on earth do we think about that from a from a Christian point of view? Is that something you've you've come across, Tim?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think you know all the way back to uh, when I was at uni. You know, there were stories around people taking certain um, uh, kinds of drugs to kind of stimulate their brains and their thoughtfulness around exam time who knew how effective they were but they were more than just you know your classic bit of pro plus and caffeine but there are actual kind of like nootropic uh, drugs which are allegedly kind of improved clarity of thought and all that kind of stuff and I think it's been fascinating seeing how that how that develops I guess the key ethical question is you know everyone is on board that it's perfectly ethical to to, um, I don't know, if you have to wear glasses or to even have laser eye surgery to, to correct your vision. It's perfectly ethical to, to, to tweak our bodies in small ways uh, through medicine. Where and how do we draw the line to what we say, actually, this is now enhancement that goes beyond uh, that and, and therefore is ethically dubious. I think that seems to me like one of the key difficulties in this area is about where are we drawing the line?
0: Absolutely. Uh, and I think what's new in in this is that we now have a whole group of incredibly wealthy uh, billionaires um, in Silicon Valley who are now throwing their money at uh, anti-aging technology uh, and at human enhancement technology. Um, Elon Musk is a very well-known example of, of someone who is publicly said that he's very concerned about artificial intelligence and the idea that the machines are gonna become smarter than us. And the The only way he says the human race is gonna survive is that we've got to make ourselves smarter in order to be able to compete with the machines. And we've got to find ways of, of linking up with the machines. So, so, and he's just an example. There are many others um, are of are immensely wealthy investors who are now throwing serious money at this issue and and you know uh, from a technical point of view i think it's it's quite likely they're going to be successful
1: And this is really comes up as, as a common theme i mean people who have listened to our last couple of episodes about uh infertility and reproductive technology will be aware that you know a lot of the the pushing of the envelope when it comes to things around embryo research and stuff like that is actually also being funded by kind of silicon valley venture capitalists and this kind of techno-optimism idea that 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 nothing should constrain us and that we need to kind of plumb the the full depths of our autonomy and liberty as human beings to to achieve whatever end we want and, and throw money and and technological power at that so i'm sure that's going to be a a common theme running through a lot of our a lot of our um episodes i guess the another thing we sorry john you wanted to say something
0: no, I, I, I I agree it is it is a theme which comes back time and time again about the appropriate use of of technology and and I think from a Christian point of view I want to ask the question how can technology be redeemed? how can it be um, brought and transformed into a way where it is it is being used genuinely for for human good um, but not in a way which is is, is dehumanizing or which is destroying our intrinsic and god-given humanity.
1: Mm. And a metaphor you often return to that we've mentioned before on the podcast is the idea of art restoration and that it's there is a sense in which there is you can collaborate with the intent of the creator. Like an art restorer does, when when a, when a painting is damaged, they try and figure out what do the original artist want this sky bit of sky to look like. They didn't want it to be cracked and faded, and I can try and use the similar materials and and step inside the worldview and the vision of the artist to try and restore it, versus you know actively painting something new over over painting the existing and, and, and almost going beyond the creator and the artist's intent. And there's something in that about trying to figure out. Uh, is what we're doing to our bodies to ourselves is it in line with God's intent as the creator or is it going beyond
0: yeah that's right I mean another issue which I'm very interested in is the whole issues of mental health and, um, and the explosion of mental health which we are seeing again during the pandemic and particularly in the younger generation um so as we know, it's largely been elderly people who've been affected by, uh, physically affected by COVID, and yet it's fascinating to see rises in depression, self-harm, uh, and a sort of despair, which, which is, is very noticeable in, in, in some people, of, of much younger people. What are mm. your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it is a really um, disturbing and, and fascinating uh, social kind of dynamic I mean, you're right that it certainly has increased since COVID, but it's it's something that clinicians have been have been aware of for some time that there is um, a, a vast surge in people reporting significant mental health struggles, particularly among the young. Um, and there's a lot of debate about whether that's simply the the ending of the stigma, and so it's it's pe- more people coming forward and not suffering in silence, or whether it's actually a real, meaningful increase in in incidence. Um, but I think it's certainly something that um, is impossible to to ignore if you spend any time around people kind of thirty five and under.
0: One of the things we want to come back to in a future episode is look at the relationship between uh, feelings and emotions of despair and uh, amongst young people, and a constant narrative about climate catastrophe, um, and and a feeling that the planet is doomed, that um, selfish human beings have completely wrecked the climate, and um, in, instead of a, of a positive sense, what are we going to do about it, there seems to be a rise in, in some young people of a, of just a sort of fatalism, a sense that it, it, it's hopeless, There's nothing can be done.
1: Mm. Yeah, I sometimes think of it as almost as a kind of a, a climate nihilism, a sense in which climate change is so severe a threat and is so is already it's a done deal there's nothing that can be done and therefore like we are among the last generations of humans to live and, and you see that fleshed out in people speaking like there's no point in having children because who would want to raise children in a world which is going to burn up and and what is what i find frustrating and fascinating is that actually particularly the kind of, on the activist wing This actually goes beyond what the scientists are telling us, you know, it's clear and undeniable that human beings um, are causing like rapid climate change, which is going to have hugely devastating impacts if we don't manage to turn it around. But actually, if you talk to the, the actual scientists who spend their life studying this and looking at the data, they're quite clear that while some warming is baked in already, there is still Plenty, plenty that we can do to mitigate and to reverse some of the more harmful things. And climate scientists are not despairing. They're not nihilistic and they are not fatalistic. And yet there's a fascinating thing where in their desire to, to kind of appropriate desire to raise urgency around this issue, a lot of particularly younger climate activists have almost gone beyond the science and actually are saying, are telling a story which is worse than it actually is.
0: Yes, I, I agree. And certainly from my science perspective, and I, I'm very interested in, in you know, basic science and physics and so on, it seems clear that um, the the prospects of renewable energy and um, the, the astonishing amounts of energy that are available to the human race, if, if only we can find ways of, of controlling it, the, this natural energy that is falling on the planet constantly by solar solar energy, um, means that it actually, it, it is perfectly possible to find um, extraordinarily successful solutions to, uh, to, to the problems of uh, generating car- too much carbon and, and so on. So um, from a scientific and technological point of view, I along with many, many other scientists see absolutely no reason for, for despair or, or doom and gloom. And and it, it it is extraordinary to see the the level of, um, yeah, uh, of of a nihilistic fatalistic uh, sense that that the world is hopelessly is hopelessly wrecked. And of course, from a Christian point of view, again, I mean, sometimes Christianity has been accused of uh, encouraging the you know the destruction of the environment, which which uh, I I think is is extremely misleading it's a very false narrative um it's pretty clear that most of the destruction of the climate has come from sort of unbridled capitalism and a a kind of uh, desire to maximize profits without any concern rather than from from uh, christian theology which has always emphasized emphasized the importance of of care for Mm. for god's creation
1: yes i agree i mean you know to, to get on into the pulpit for a second, I think the real reason why climate change is human sin. You know, it's it's the desire to accumulate and acquire and possess and control, uh, and and putting our own needs above the needs of, of both our neighbour, you know, and and islands far away who are subject to to rising sea levels, but also above the the needs of of creation itself. Um,
0: but one of the wonderful Christian ideas is that is that God creates a kind of resilience and um, indestructibility into the fundamental structures of the creation. Uh, it, it's part of, of of what theologians call creation order, and um, this is uh, an illustration of this. is a bit like if you think, imagine what a squeezy rubber ball is like, you know, you, you can take one of those squeezy rubber balls, you can distort it and twist it in your hands. You can you can change it into the most extraordinary shapes. But as soon as you take your hand away, bing, it's back, it's a rubber ball again. And that's what the creation is like. God has put this intrinsic resilience uh, into the very structures of the creation. And therefore, uh, it's it's another reason why we shouldn't give way to despair which is which is almost a sin you know instead we should positively seek how we can collaborate with god's creation and with with this beautiful order that he's put into the creation in order to fulfill his his purposes uh, and collaborate with with creating the new heaven and the new earth
1: absolutely absolutely Uh, before we end we should just briefly we're coming to the end of this episode but we want to quickly flag up another topic that we're that is certainly on our our radar and and that's something that you've mentioned before you've clearly done some writing about it. it's about palliative care and and the kind of ethics of the the end of life I mean this is something that that you we certainly recorded podcasts about before particularly around the assisted dying bill that was in parliament uh, last autumn what kind of what kind of taster can you give for our listeners about how we're going to address this in the future
0: yeah, well, this is an example of, of what's sometimes called the old bioethics. What what we've been talking about just now is, is the new bioethics, new challenges, um, which historically were not uh, significant at all. But what's fascinating in bioethics is that you get these whole raft of new challenges, genuinely novel questions about human enhancement and about artificial intelligence and so on. But you also get what's often called the old bioethics, and this is about the destruction of human life, particularly dealing at the beginning of life with issues such as abortion, at the end of life with issues about care of the dying and about suicide and mercy killing and so on. And uh, one of the things that I'm uh, really fascinated by is is the way that uh, a group of Christians pioneered, uh, Christian doctors, especially Cicely Saunders uh, pioneered a whole new way of caring for dying people in the 1950s and 1960s uh, in London in, in in the UK and that that completely new way, a new pr- process, a new, a new way of thinking about caring for dying people has now gone around the world and has been uh, extraordinarily effective and successful uh, and is generally called palliative care or hospice care sometimes in the USA and i think it's really important for us to try and understand more about the philosophy of, the, of palliative care and and how how it emerges from a christian understanding of what it means to be human and how to help people to die well
1: i think it's the topic you know as you say this kind of like the end of life in euthanasia is one of those perennial kind of classic hot button bioethics issues that you know i studied in my re class at gcse i remember all those years ago uh and yet in so many ways actually the caring for those at the end of life and and the story of palliative care often gets lost in this discussion it becomes often subtracted to kind of like trolley problem style ethical dilemmas and about competing narratives around um you know compassion and autonomy and things like that but actually it's a it's an intensely practical as well as an abstract ethical question and i i hope that having a look at this history of palliative care and, and how it's developed and what it has to say about end-of-life ethics could be a really fruitful way of of moving the conversation forward.
0: Yes, I hope so. And and I think one of the basic principles, which I feel is very important, is is whenever as Christians we say that something is wrong, you know, this is bad and, and that you shouldn't do this, it's really important that immediately we say, and here is a better way. This is a better way of dealing with this problem. And when we're talking about death and dying, I have absolutely no doubt that palliative care, proper expert and and, uh, and, and Christ-centred palliative care at the very best uh, kind of caring is the better way of, um, of caring for dying people. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I hope that's whetted people's appetite for uh, what we're hoping to look at in the coming weeks and months on matters of life and death and lots more besides, of course, we'll be keeping an eye on the covid pandemic and its twists and turns it's we try not to plan those too far in advance because things change so quickly um but yeah uh, and we're also interested in in we're hoping to take in in feedback from listeners and suggestions and ideas that people might have spot in the news or new research as well so please do get in touch if you have any thoughts but should we call it a, a day there um great to speak to you as always john and I look forward to uh, to chatting soon
0: Life and Death, a podcast from Premier
1: Unbelievable.